Hi, welcome to My Creativity, the podcast about being creative and producing output. I'm your host, Surrey. I reveal how I work, my projects, my process, well, my creativity. From the planning and goal setting, to how I stay accountable for my output, to the way ideas pop into my head, and to the frameworks I use to stimulate my creativity and formalize it. Each week, I go through my previous week's goals. And then at the end of the episode, I go through the coming week's goals. And in between, I usually uh, talk about something to do with creativity or I interview someone. So I'm going to start straight off with my last week's goals. So last week, I was going to complete my shop and run five kilometers on Sunday. So for those who haven't been following along, I have a website called gravityundone.net. And on there, I have uh, all of my podcasts. So that's Exit Plan, My Creativity and Space Brains. I've also got uh, some videos on there about world building for science fiction, fantasy and urban fantasy. I've recently created a shop website in order to be able to sell my books and also associated merchandise with the various podcasts and indeed the the books as they come along. So my goal for May, so the whole month of, of May, was to review my monthly goals, to complete my shop and to run five kilometers every Sunday. So I did the five kilometers completing my shop. Now that was to create a product in each category, have the categories then linked through to products page. I've got products page, uh, you can view a product. Uh, I am still creating products. And the reason for that, of course, is it's hard to create products for me. Anyway, uh, I'm not very well practiced. So I'm at the moment, uh, I'm in the middle of designing a lovely backpack, which is my creativity based. Uh, I already have a nice coffee mug, and uh, I've got a couple of t-shirts. I'm going to have to roll the completing my shop over into my June goals. Now, because we've just started June, and we've wrapped up May, I'm going to have to come up with my June-level goals. And they will have been coming from my quarterly goals, which came from my annual priorities, which comes from my 10-year mission, which is based on my purpose. I'm going through my monthly goals tomorrow with my wife because we are a team and she's working on her things and I'm working on my things. We have a bit of a crossover. But uh, one thing that we really do is we discuss what our goals are, what we're trying to achieve, and we celebrate our victories together and bitch and moan when things don't quite go right. You need a little bit of an outlet sometimes. So there you go. That's... That's my uh, last week's goals. I, I think I did fairly well. The, the shop's, shop's really looking quite solid now. If you want to have a bit of a peek at it, you can. The URL is available. It is shop.gravityundone.net. As I said, it's not complete. It's not hooked up to a payment gateway yet. So you're not going to be able to buy anything, but you can sort of watch as... It develops uh, and designs sort of changes a bit, menus change, and you'll see new products coming on there. And once I've 
once I finish this backpack and um, one other product, I'll have to go and have a look at my list. Then I'm going to start doing some test sales and turn into real, you know, uh, real credit card features. And then over time, I'll be adding products onto that. One thing I'll be doing on this shop as well, rather than selling my book direct, I've had a look at the options for that. And it turns out that I'm better off selling it through online stores such as Amazon and then getting, say, an Amazon affiliate account and then providing links to my book on Amazon because then I'll get the Amazon royalty plus a little bit extra for the affiliate link. And the other thing I can do with that affiliate link, uh, my affiliate account, is I've been talking about books and authors and research that has been influential to me. Uh, I've talked about Carol Dweck and her mindset, and I've talked about um, Brendan Bouchard and his high-performance habits, and I think I might have mentioned Joe Dispenza. not sure. But I realize that perhaps you'd like to be able to see these books that I keep talking about and find out what's going on. And if you were to, say, click on a link through to Amazon and purchase such a book, then I would at least, you know, be able to pay a little bit, you know, maybe 50 cents worth of my hosting fees. So that would be nice. Anyway, enough of the shop today. Today I want to sort of talk about plotting. And in particular, I just finished releasing season two of Exit Plan, and I'm writing the novel of season two of Exit Plan. Season three has been written, and some of the voice actors have gotten their lines back, and I'm waiting on a couple others. And I'll be producing those episodes as soon as I can. In the meantime, I'm creating binge episodes. So five episodes at a time comes out to be an hour 15 or an hour and a half. And um, that's for people who prefer to sort of listen to stories from start to finish with little interruption. But I realized that it gives me an opportunity to talk about how I went about coming up with this story and more importantly, how I, how I went about structuring it in a way that would allow me to present a complete story and also allow me to you know, stay focused and to make the most use of my writing time. So I'm sure, like a lot of you, your time that you actually get to spend just writing is limited. I get about an hour a day. So when I sit down on the train with my laptop, with my headphones in to keep myself from being distracted by the outside world, I want to make sure that I can just sit and write as much as I can and have as much of what I write be useful. Because I have have tried writing as a pantser, as they say, by the seat of my pants, and I I found I had to chuck away too much. So I wrote a a 100,000-word epic fantasy novel. I then trashed about 20 or 30,000 words of that because it was just kind of going nowhere and it was all wrong. And then I had to reorganize the chapters a little bit to make them flow better, to present the story in a, in a more useful fashion. And then I end up writing in another 34,500 or so words to fill in, ending up with a 110,000 word story at the end, of which maybe half was the original and the structure was all wrong and so I all that time I spent 
cutting out like 30,000 words to cut. That's half a novel, short novel, but half a novel, probably about 120, 150 pages. And then writing another 30, 35,000 to fill that in, you know, I, I wasted so much time. So when I started doing this, I had gone to, um, I'd, I'd made my decision to commit to doing things the right way, the way that professionals and the experts and the experienced people tell you to do them, rather than thinking that I could just do it better on my own. And so when I came back from that training course, uh, I think I've told you about this a couple of times, that, that, was, that was kind of this turning point in my creative career. And I decided that I was going to do this planning, come up with a 10-year mission, break it down to the annual priorities, quarterly, monthly, and ultimately this podcast itself. I decided that I had to understand plot and I had to use it in order to give structure to my writing so that I could make best use of my writing. Now, when I look at Exit Plan Season 1, I feel that there was some pacing issues in a couple of the episodes that are a little bit slower than I would have liked and then there were a couple of bits that were a little bit faster than I'd like but I mean all up I, it does follow a, a structure and it, it hits hits all of the beats it needs to so how did I come up with that well I was looking at several different plotting systems one of them was the eight point arc sort of a uh, but based on the hero's journey, I'm sure many of you heard of the eight-point arc goes from stasis, trigger, the quest, surprise, critical choice, climax, reversal, resolution. I looked at that and started giving me some ideas. I took a couple little rough notes, but I realized that it didn't, it didn't go into enough detail about how, how each of these points move through to make the story. So then I had a look at, say, for example, also uh, the three-act structure. And that's, that's a very high-level view of it. Oh, okay. And in fact, the reason there are three seasons of Exit Plan is because my because it's a three-act structure, is a high-level view, I actually applied it to the overall story. So the three seasons form each Act 1, 2, and 3 of the total Exit Plan story, whilst within each season, they themselves had sort of three acts as well. But... The important tool that I used, and I'll talk about the three-act structure after this, was uh, this fellow called Blake Snyder. He came up with uh, this beat sheet. It's called the Blake Snyder Beat Sheet. So who was Blake Snyder? And I say was because unfortunately he's no longer with us. It's a bit of a shame. Uh, I think he died a bit young, which is always uh, a, bit, a bit of a tragedy when he had so much more to offer the world but so Blake Snyder he was an American screenwriter uh, an author and an educator and he was in Los Angeles and he wrote these books called Save the Cat which is about screenwriting story structures so the the Blake Snyder beat sheet is somewhat focused towards movies but having said that it can be applied to any story fictional or non-fictional in fact I've been using it to put together a an ongoing a, a podcast that I'm going to create about the first one is going to be about um, the sort of technology required to make a science fiction spacecraft and do science fiction style space travel where I'm I'm interviewing 
um, physicists and uh, mathematicians and engineers and, and so forth about some of these technologies and, and the difficulties. And I'm structuring this um, documentary style podcast according to this beat sheet because I want I want the fact I call them facts, but you know it's obviously a bit speculative. But I want this non-fictional story that's within the presentation of information to flow with ups and downs and interesting bits that will keep people wanting to listen, waiting for that you know next episode to hear how essentially how the story resolves and if you look at a number of documentaries out there they also follow this style of structure more or less so the major book that he wrote that Blake Snyder wrote was called Save the Cat and it was a number one selling book among screenwriting manuals it details the structure of the monomyth the hero's journey providing a by-the-minute pattern for screenwriting. So it, it provides a way of presenting your story for a movie. It works very well. And in fact, you can look at a lot of examples of this. Pixar is particularly fond, and so is Disney. They sort of much the same thing. Very fond of this sort of structure. And once, you, once I go through the points, the beats, as they're called, that a story will hit you'll start to see how this fits into a lot of movies. And the thing that I quite like is the term Save the Cat is a term that Snyder coined to describe a decisive moment when a protagonist does something nice, uh, for example, literally saving a cat. And his inspiration for this movie, uh, his inspiration for this, in fact, was the movie Alien, where Sigourney's Weaver... Sigourney's Weaver, Sigourney Weaver's character, Wrigley. I should know this better. I, I just I reviewed this not too long ago, this movie on Space Brains. It's one of my favorite movies, just a spoiler. So Sigourney Weaver's ca- character, Ripley, saves a cat named Jones. And it's where we first meet the hero, in, and it's a way of making us see that they are the hero and that they're they're a worthy sort of person and when you realize that this is a feature used you'll find it in so many movies i just recorded the movie um a review for the movie revolt uh, for space brains and at the in the very one of the very first scenes of that movie the main character wakes up in a prison and defends the other main character yeah, you know, it's a simple little thing, just like a he just sort of says one sentence uh, in defense of his other character. And that's how you know he's a good guy. He didn't have to do that. You know, we know nothing else about this character, but he, he stands up and says, you know, no, leave, leave that person alone at great expense to himself. So there you go. That's, that's what Save the Cat comes from. And you see it in a, in a lot of movies there in some of the first scenes a hero will... I mean, that could be a, a, a murderous assassin for hire. This is a popular one where there's a um, John Wick, for example. John Wick is a psychopath. Yeah, if you miss the first 15 minutes of that movie and you just watch the, the rest of it, you would not be rooting for this guy. He is clearly disturbed. He has no regard for human life. And he's incredibly violent. 
and quite dreadful, really. But at the very start, we see he's got a special bond with a dog. It's his favorite dog. It's a very special dog to him, emotionally important. And the dog is killed. Yeah, so there we go. Now we know that John Wick is a worthy person, despite the fact that he goes on a murderous rampage, killing untold numbers of relatively innocent people, bystanders and so forth, in order to find the one person who who was sort of responsible for killing his dog. But anyway, it really works. Because when I was watching it, I've got a dog, and you know John Wick has a dog, and John Wick's dog got killed. Well, of course you're going to avenge that. So it works. That's my analysis of John Wick. So the Blake's, the beat sheets themselves, there's 16 beats that uh, a story will hit. And you'll note that season one of season Exit Plan, in fact, has 16 episodes. Not a coincidence. So let's go through these beats and we'll see how they can be used to outline and structure your plot. So beat one, opening image. A visual that represents the struggle and tone of the story, a snapshot of the character's problems before the adventure begins. And you'll note that in the uh, eight-point arc or the hero's journey, that the first one is stasis. So this is the point where uh, quite often a lot of movies set it up so that the character is in a boring, uh, humdrum, ordinary life which just repeats. Uh, And there you go. Setup is the beat two. This is where we expand on the before snapshot. We present the main character's world as it is and we present what is missing in his life or her life or her becoming his Either way, we're showing what's missing in their life and other aspects of it. Then we have theme stated. And this happens during the setup. And once you've heard this, you're going you're gonna to see it in a lot of movies and indeed stories that you read. So this is what your story is about. It's the message. It's the truth. Usually it is spoken to the main character or in their presence, but they don't understand the truth. Not until I have some personal experience and context to support it. These are the scene, for example, where uh, the character is told, hey, you know, sometimes you just got to keep trying and maybe you get what you need, not what you want, or something along those lines. Then we have the catalyst. This is the moment where life as it is changes. It is the telegram, the act of catching your loved one cheating. In fact, if you remember, if you've ever watched the movie Old School, which is, well, I won't go into what that is, but literally, the Luke Wilson's character walks in on his wife cheating. Instantly, he packs up his stuff and leaves. His life has changed. It's all, it's all uh, over for that life, into a new one. Uh, it's also allowing the monster on board the ship, if you think an alien. Uh, it's meeting the true love of your life, etc. It's the before world has gone and change is underway. Debate. But change is scary, and for a moment, or a brief number of moments, the main character doubts the journey they must take. Think of how many movies and stories you've read where that's the case. So they go, yes, I'm going to go off on this adventure. Hang on, I'm not really sure. Uh, I can think of The Hobbit, for example, where Bilbo somehow gets you know, dragged into this adventure with the dwarves, 
and he goes off to meet them and then when he gets here he goes what am i doing i'm a hobbit we don't do this so can i face this challenge do i have what it takes should i go at all it is the last chance of the a chance for the hero to chicken out this is where we break into act two or as blake Snyder says choosing act two so the main character makes a choice and the journey begins we leave the thesis world as it's called which is the act one world and we enter the upside down opposite world of act two the next beat is the b story this comes in at act two you see this is when there's a discussion about the theme the nugget of truth usually this discussion is between the main character and the love interest so the b story is usually called the love story it's not necessarily the case there are plenty of movies where the b story is a um for example a, a character talking to an artificial intelligence no romance involved but the artificial intelligence kind of makes creepy little remarks and comments which seem relevant later now we get to the fun bit this is the promise of the premise you may have heard that phrase before and this is where it comes from so this is when so this is when indiana jones tries to beat the nazis to the lost ark when the detective fires the most bullets and and finds the most clues and this is when the main character explores the new world and the audience is entertained by the premise they have been promised uh, in spider-man one with toby Maguire. This is the part where he's he's been bitten, he's seen some of the results at school, and he's coming home and he, he looks up the wall and he looks at his fingers and he sees the little little grabby hairs and he goes, Whoa, what the heck? And he climbs up the wall of the building and he and he starts trying to shoot his web and swing about the place and then he, he discovers he can do this thing and he's having a great deal of fun. That's promise of the premise right there. But then we hit the midpoint. And this is dependent on the story. This moment is when everything is great or everything is awful. So the main, so in, if we're going to continue Spider-Man, he's having a great success and he beats the guy wrestling and then, bang, his uh, uncle dies. The main character either gets everything they think they want or they don't get what they, th uh, what they think they want at all. But not everything we think we want is what we actually need in the end. Which leads us into bad guys close in, doubt, jealousy, fear, foes both physical and emotional, regroup to defeat the main character's goal. And the main character's great awful situation disintegrates. All is lost. The opposite moment from the midpoint. The moment that the main character realizes they've lost everything they've gained, or everything they now have, has no meaning. The initial goal now looks even more impossible than before. And here, something or someone dies. It can be physical or emotional, but the death of something old makes way for something new to be born. Dark Night of the Soul. The main character hits bottom and wallows in hopelessness. The why hast thou forsaken me, Lord, moment. Mourning the loss of what has died. The dream, the goal, the mentor, character, the love of your life, etc. But you must fall completely before you can pick yourself up and try again. Finally, we break into three. This is choosing Act 3. Now, thanks to a fresh idea, some new inspiration, or last-minute thematic advice from the B story, the main character chooses to try again. 
which leads us into the finale. This time around, the main character incorporates the theme, the nugget of truth that now makes sense to them, into their fight for the goal, because they have experience from the A story and context from the B story. Act 3 is about synthesis. I don't really know what that means. But he says it. Old Black Science. So he must know what he's talking about, right? And then we had the final image. And it's the opposite of the open image, proving visually that a change has occurred within the character. Now, I'm going to go through and just quickly point out, because I know that you've all gone and listened through Season 1 of Exit Plan. For sure you have. Both of my listeners have anyway. Any new listeners who come in later, go back and listen to Exit Plan and buy the book so I can keep producing this stuff. But I'm going to quickly run through how I applied the beat sheet to Exit Plan so that I knew episode by episode what I was writing and what I was recording. Okay, so the first thing is the opening image. So the struggle. This character, and he has no name, I never bothered naming him, he's coming to grips with reality of the world. It's a coming-of-age struggle where he wants to grow into this new world uh, that he will come across later, but he also wants to retreat to normality. He's frustrated. It's a little bit real. It's a little bit humorous. Uh, it's a slow drain with occasional top-ups. And the opening visual is the character went to morning tea celebrating Derek, first year at the company. This, uh, the main character's first year was a week prior. He didn't get a morning tea. And then he also sort of explains a bit about some other work he does, which doesn't quite get the effect he wants. And so if I, if I remember correctly, I mean, I wrote the damn thing. Uh, I sort of, you know, the episode, he talks about how great he is at work and how everything's really cool. And it sort of goes in a bit of a, a, bit of a humdrum recounting of his daily life, which uh, very quickly starts to unravel. So now we have the, we want to look at the world as it is. Uh, the, the guy has had this main character. He's never spent much more. I think a year with, was, with that company was actually the longest he'd ever spent with a company. He never really got into a senior position. And he's clearly kind of searching around. He's not, he's not really comfortable or confident with himself. Uh, we also notice he doesn't really have any real friends. He has one friend that he, he's known for a long time called Heidi. And the theme stated... Heidi is the one who states this theme to him. Uh, she says, you're looking for something, but you don't know what it is or where to find it. You just don't seem to understand how the world works. And sure enough, he gets in there and he finds a series of books uh, that he gets from an auction that he, he didn't initially win the books, but he, he wanted to um, try and make money off stuff. And so he ends up buying these books later on and they reveal a deeper level to the world. There's... Uh, it's like an instruction set for decoding reality. It also outlines monsters that exist and how to spot them, what to do about them. So after using... So then we're going into debate, the debate beat. So he uses some of the magic in one of the books and he's like looking at himself going, wow, that worked. That means everything I knew about the world is wrong and there is this possibility of an incredible other world. But it's a bit worrying because, you know, there's monsters in this other world. Real monsters. But, you know, 
he likes the power of the magic. It gives him a bit of purpose. And so off he goes. And he bumps into Beatrice. Beatrice was named because she's the B story. And in fact, the main character calls her, nicknames her B. Just to be humorous there. So she's the B story called B, Beatrice. She gives him a new job and drops some hints about the real world. In fact, points him towards Jennifer McCormack. Uh, the main character at, at this new job with Beatrice, he meets some real friends, finally, because he's kind of stepping into his own here. We're heading towards the midpoint, remember? And the midpoint is where everything's great. And the promise of the premise is where we are now. The promise of the premise is he's got magic, he's got friends, he's discovered a real monster, and off he goes to fight it. And, you know, there's uh, a bit of tension, a bit of a fight. He wins, and he and his friends are going, yeah, monsters and magic are real, but we're so cool, we can defeat them. And this is, this is sort of what we're all about. But then we, That's where we hit the midpoint, where everything is really great. You know, the, there's no dirt on him. He's so cool. Uh, the boss even wants him to be at a special... Uh, end of uh, project party and it's gonna be way cool but then the bad guys close in this is where at the peak of his hubris he discovers that something about his job is not what he thought it was and he starts to see that he actually is just being used in some way and then his his old friend Heidi basically who he's been ignoring because he's you know he's been in the midpoint he's been so great tells him to you know get lost she's she's not interested and that's that's quite upsetting now he's he's realized that his amazing job is actually a fraud he's realized that he's got this time clock he's got to be at uh, this launch party or his new friends have been threatened by his boss and yeah everything's starting to go to hell so that's where all is lost it's the opposite of the midpoint this is the very bottom point Heidi is in a car crash or an explosion, anyway. Car's not moving at the time, and the uh, the main character believes that he's t- to blame for this, and he feels really bad. All his friends are going to die, and he sort of retreats and hides. And he has the next episode, Dark Knight of the Soul, where he's hit rock bottom, and he's disconnected from his real friends. He submits to uh, his drudgery of misleading people in this new work and he throws his books away and he gets fabulously drunk and just turns just he has a mess break into three this is where beatrice uh the b story comes back in and and points a few things out about him uh and and his situation which makes him suddenly realize that you know what he, he can't just roll over and accept this. He's going to have to stand up and fight. Which leads us into a finale where he confronts the big bad monster. Uh, he and his friends have a big fight. There's a bit of a cost involved to that. It's not too good, which leads into the final image, which is episode 16. It's the opposite of the opening image. That's where this character he has created the exit plan security company with his friends and the they're totally uh, engaged with this real world, with monsters and magic. And he's, they've just won a new job as this new company. 
and ding, that's the end. And we go into episode like one of season two. So that's that's how I use the 16 points to come up with each of the episodes. Uh, obviously, I fleshed each of those points out and then I wrote the episodes. It worked quite well. Now, as for the three-part, the three-act structure. So the three-act structure I've mentioned before, and I mentioned the, the three acts in the 16 beats, but I've got the three seasons make up the three-act structure. So the first... Uh, first act is for exposition, establishing main characters and relationships and the world they live in. Uh, and then you have something, some incident occurs, which uh, is, creates a dramatic situation. And this is known as the first plot point. And that's in the first act. So that would have, that was, uh, and it, this, this plot point ensures that the life for the main character will never be the same again. And so this was the, finale of season one bang and he starts his new company everything's different right so the second act then also known as rising action uh, it typically depicts the protagonist's attempt to resolve the problem initiated in the first point only to find themselves in even worse situations and if you've listened to season two you'll know that he's he goes off on this new job uh, and he's things seem to be going well but then Tony gets hurt, and then he finds. Uh, oh, I don't know how many spoilers. I'm not giving. I'm not giving any more spoilers. He finds things that he thought were true in season one are not at all true, and this reveals a larger threat behind everything that happened in season one. Now, the third act, which has not happened yet, of course, it's coming up shortly, is the resolution of the story, and this is the climax scene. And this is the one where basically the larger threat that was presented in Act 2 is confronted and defeated. Uh, and then that's it. That's the, that's the three-act structure for my three seasons. I use the Blake Snyder beat sheet to structure each of these seasons into episodes. Um, episode, uh, sorry, season 1 had 16 episodes, season 2's got 15, and season 3 has 15. Because I combined a couple and split a couple of these points depending on how big they had to be but it what they meant it, it meant that i had uh, i've got a, a story that is structured according to a, a format that works it has you know a, a rise uh, a fall and a, and a victory and some confusion and it's got like a this b story there which makes you think a little bit more and all the little bits and pieces that go into a great story. Have I executed this really well? Well, time will tell. So far, so good. And you'll be able to read it in the novels that I'm writing. So the novels flesh this out even more and go deeper into the, I suppose, the emotions and the thought processes behind all of these actions. So if you listened to season one and you're kind of left feeling like you need to know a bit more about what was going on and and why things were the way they were the book will tell you so perhaps perhaps if you're a pantser like say you you write with city of pants maybe you could try structuring your plot and you'll find and and this again i've i've read and heard plenty of people say these things oh i tried structuring my plot but you know my characters just tell me to do different things and you go well that's because you didn't plot properly try it like really commit to coming up with a plot and, a, and and an outline that flows in a certain way i mean things will vary a little bit here and there from your initial 
plotting idea, but I think that if you stick to that, when you come around to doing your edits, and we all love our edits, you will have fewer changes that you'll need to make, fewer chapters being crossed out, fewer structural rearrangements, and more of your edits will be focused on you know, language usage and um, maybe length or uh, uh, you know grammar, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I know, for example, exit plan, I did not chuck out anything. I added things in and I tweaked a couple bits and pieces here and there, but the episodes that I outlined according to this structure stayed the episodes I outlined. That saved me so much time, so much time on the edit. And that's what I've learned in general is that when you did, because so many really experienced and professional people who are very good at this tell you to do this. So why don't you, of course, there are some who don't. I mean, Stephen King will, will say you can take it or leave it and he's a renowned pantser and quite frankly, you can see it. It seems that every every second book of Stephen King's is absolutely, you know, spectacularly written and amazing storytelling and every other book or the even books or the odd books, whichever way you look at it, seems to sort of start off sounding exciting and then it just wanders and drifts a bit until it kind of gets to a an ending that's sort of a bit like, well, what, what was going on there exactly? He has exceptional uh, strength when it comes to the um, world building and storytelling. I read that the Dark Tower, book one, not much happens in it, but geez, it's amazing. Like You get such a, a rich experience from it. If you can do that, and he's done it through years and years of days and days and days of constantly writing over and over and over again. Once you get that experience at writing, you're probably going to be able to get away with having the plot just form in your head because you're used to doing it. But if you're not Stephen King, I would suggest you try plotting. So next week's goals. Well, one of them is, of course, going to be come up with my monthly goals. That's kind of silly. Tomorrow, in about an hour or so, I'll come up with the monthly goals. Uh, I'm going to continue my five kilometer running on Sundays because today's run was excellent. My legs just really stretched out. They didn't hurt. Top notch. Uh, I need to continue, complete my shop. That means I've got to have one product in each category and going, you know, linking them through correctly so that it kind of looks like a shop. And uh, I also have to, I have to edit and produce uh, Space Brains. There's a, oh, I've got two hours of review for The Darkest Dawn, which is, which is quite a, a fun film. Funny thing is, there's a two hour review and the movie itself is only an hour 15 or something. But, well worth the effort. So, until then, until next week, I think give plotting a go, have an idea of it, or maybe take up a work, uh, whether it be fiction or uh, or non-fiction. Maybe it's a marketing campaign or some sales copy, and see if you can apply this uh, a plot structure to it, and use that to map out how it all works out. Have fun. Always stay creative. See ya.